All right, how's it going tonight, everybody? We are Run the Real featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. And we are back with another hopefully great review. What? Hopefully. What is this nonsense? Sounds like somebody's hedging his bets over here. Mm. Mm. I love me some bets, don't you know? Give me your money. Let me go put some bets down. Only if you loan me your dope Furby chain real quick. Yeah, and if you're not back by Friday, I get to keep it. Yeah. What? I need that Furby. I need it. (laughs) Anyways, we are starting on a new category this week. We are doing, I guess, what, catch-up? 2019 catch-up? Yeah. Not to be confused with the condiment. I love catch-up. Yes, we love it. But we are catching up on movies from 2019 that we missed, but we wanted to watch them. And Dan picked this first one. What'd you pick, Dan? Uncut Gems. I maybe saw one trailer for this movie, and I was not interested in it one bit. I thought it looked terrible. Oh. It was all over YouTube. Was it? The banners. You can't escape them. That, yeah. The little the little clip of him in his sunglasses yammering's like, this is me. <laughs> and then it'll cut to uncut gems. Well, I have ad blocker on like everything, so I missed out on all that. Oh, he can escape them. (laughs) (laughs) I can. I did. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. When I saw the trailer, I was kind of like meh on it. I didn't really care too much. Yeah, same here. Really? What turned you guys off? I don't know. It's Adam Sandler. I'm not a big Adam Sandler guy, you know? Man, he's proven that he can act when he wants to. When did he prove that? In like Punch Drunk Love, Rain Over Me, and there's one other one that he was playing a serious part in. Has anybody else here seen, besides you, Dan, his, like, serious movies? Because I, I know I have not seen his serious films. Nope. Uh, I've, No, I was just about to say, I think I saw that one movie, The 40 Days and Nights or whatever, 51st Dates, but that is not a serious movie. <laughs> no, the rom-com? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that counts. I mean, his, his earlier s- silly movies are a lot better than the ones he's been doing lately. I will give him that much, except for Jack and Jill. Oh. <laughs> I think, yeah, I know. I've always thought he had potential, but the the trailer was just kind of, I don't know, something about it. Like, he didn't draw me in, I guess. It's like raw and weird, which when you're watching the movie, it works. But when you see the trailer, it just kind of looks like a mess to me. Like everybody's talking over each other. There's, I, I don't know. The, the way this movie works is the anxiety that it gets going when you watch it. And it's hard to get that through in a trailer, I think. At least for me, I thought it looked awful. And I was like, I don't really want to see this. Interesting. I was hooked from seeing the trailer. I was like, ooh, that looks good. It might have helped that it was A24. And I think... So far on this show, I've given A24 films all by its, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? I might be mistaken. I don't know. Was Mother an A24 film? I do not think it was A24. I feel like we all thought it was, and then it turned out not to be. I mean, it, se- it seemed like something they would put out, but not not of as high a quality as the other ones, though. I didn't know this was A24 until I was sitting there in the theater, and it came up, and I was like, oh... Okay. That actually encouraged me quite a bit at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. That production company is like starting to, like, you see it and you're like, ah, that's going to be a quality film. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of companies that do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like everything I've seen from them has been pretty good so far. Well, I'll put the disclaimer on there if you're like us, because I know a lot of people who hate A24 movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I could see that. Not because they hate, like, the production company. Like, they don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, but they'll just be talking about the movie at work, and they'll just be hating on stuff. And they're like, man, this movie was junk. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get through the uh, logistics stuff really quick here. So Uncut Gems was released in 2019. This came out at some festivals first before it got more of a wide release. It is directed by Benny and Joss Safdie, who also were writers on there with Ronald Bronstein. It stars a whole bunch of people, actually. Um, But Adam Sandler is a big name in there. Adina Menzel is in there as well. 
Currently on IMDb, it has an 8.0 out of 10, a 90 Metascore. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 91% tomato meter and a 51% audience score. Oh, that's interesting. We've just been flip-flopping with these critic versus audience scores lately. Basically, this follows the life of Adam Sandler's character, who is a, um, I guess he's a diamond or gem salesperson. A jeweler. Jeweler, okay. I guess that's the correct term for this. (laughs) (laughs) He's a jeweler who's like in debt up to his eyeballs to like five different people. And so he's got collectors coming after him the whole time. He makes money instead of paying it off. He uses it to go gamble. He's got like a family, but he's also having an affair with somebody who works at his shop. This dude has an insane life, and I don't think you can get it in the summary here. Yeah. But um, I guess he the main thing of this movie is he gets this um, this big rock that's got what he calls opals in it from Ethiopia. And it's supposed to be worth millions of dollars, but he loans it to a, a basketball player and he doesn't get it back. And it, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. Yeah, a lot of layers. There is. So I'm just going to say spoilers right now. I, we're we're going to spoil this one. Oh, for sure, yeah. Especially since this is, these are more recent. We'll probably be spoiling most of the movies in this series, I would assume. We spoil every movie we talk about. Yeah. We do. <laughs> we, it's critical analysis. We can't do it without a spoiler. <laughs> I guess let's just jump right into it. What do you guys think of Uncut Gems? We all watch this separate from each other. This is true. The only person I know... What they thought about it was a little bit it's TV, and that's because he put it on Twitter. What? You responded uh, to our old roommate on Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Podcast spoilers. Jeez. That's right. I was tweeting about it. Nice. <laughs> nice. What everybody think about this one? Let's just jump into it. Man, I was surprised. AF. Blown out of the water. Caught me off guard. Took me by storm. Yeah, for sure. Like, speaking of, like, diving into it it feels like this movie just throws you into this guy's life it is so hectic crazy and like you get invested so quickly in it too which is just weird because you know this isn't stuff that i usually like keep up on i'm not like a big gambler or anything but man i was surprised how (laughs) hooked i got on this movie when you get hooked on the main character too which is interesting it's because he's adam sandler i think um, he brings some humanity and empathy to a total scumbag of a guy. Right? That was like the weirdest thing, yeah, because he is just a total scumbag. But like, <laughs> you're kind of rooting for him throughout the film. Yeah, it's weird. Like, suddenly, like, halfway through the film, I realized it, and I was like, wow, I'm actually, like, hoping this guy pulls through when, like, he's not that good of a guy, and... I really shouldn't like him, but yeah, I think you're right, Dan. There's something about him, like maybe it is Adam Sandler, that I'm just like, man, this guy's going to make it. I I believe in him. He's got to do it. I think a little bit it had to be Adam Sandler, you know? Like, I think what makes him so lovable in the film is that his character is kind of an underdog, and I would venture to say that Adam Sandler is a bit of an underdog when it comes to serious dramas. Well, he hasn't helped matters any with the films he produces, but no, no. <laughs> <laughs> or produces and stars in. So, but I mean, yeah, he's proven he could act. That's something I've been thinking about because I just saw this yesterday when I was at work. I was like, why do I want to see this guy succeed? And I'm not sure I know exactly why or can put it in the words really why I do. It's really, it's interesting. That goes on to like the whole Breaking Bad thing where everybody was rooting for um, Walter White in that show as he slowly became this like crime lord and his wife was actually, people hated her character because she was trying to bring him back to being a good guy, being a father and all this stuff and it's it's interesting how people will root for the bad guys in these movies. But Adam Sandler is not the baddest guy in this movie. He's kind of a scumbag, but he's not downright despicable either. Yeah, he's fairly harmless, I guess. I mean, his family, is, <laughs> there's obviously some stuff going on there, but... I think his wife put it best. It's like, you're annoying. I hate being around you. I just want to punch you in the face. That's about as bad as it gets. It's not like he's going to go out and just kill somebody over 
getting slighted or anything. Right, yeah. He he takes it all, like, he just rolls with it. If someone doesn't give him what he wants, he's like, oh, fine, whatever. And he just, like, comes up with some other scheme he's going to do. Yeah, we, we, we all know this guy from, like, high school or something. He He definitely went to your high school at some point, probably. This guy who's always talking himself up, saying, oh, I can do all these things. I can go make tons of money on the side here and just telling lies nonstop. Everybody <laughs> knows somebody like this. Well, Sandler himself's like, he's really smart, too, even though he, he's a smart guy, but he makes the dumbest decisions. <laughs> so, I mean, if he wasn't smart, he wouldn't still be like doing what he's doing or making all the money he does make even though he just goes and pisses it away for the most part though i guess he technically won two of the gambles that he set out to do in this film yeah i guess it just kind of like shows you in a way this movie is pretty much just like a big like psa on like addiction and gambling and that kind of thing yes this look how successful this guy could probably be if he didn't have this terrible gambling problem that he just can't help himself and he's just constantly like throwing himself into the fire when he doesn't need to I'm trying to think of like another good film example of gambling addiction you know we have all other kinds of movies that you know have like alcohol and drug addictions but i feel like this is a really good depiction like a realistic one of a gambling addiction it's not like he's like spend. I mean, you know, he obviously has a nice apartment and buys his family nice things, but it's not like he's going and blowing a ton of cash on himself. He pretty much just gets the money and immediately tosses it back into like gambling. He has to for a lot of the movie because he's in so much debt that he's trying to, <laughs> the only way he can figure to get out of it is to win big at gambling. So he's coming up with these crazy schemes to make money off of the money he's got, either pawning things that aren't his or when he does get a little bit of money, using it to try and hit big so he can pay everything off. So it's kind of like <laughs> a lose-lose situation he's in. Yeah, he just keeps digging a deeper hole. Yeah, you're on to something there, Fox, with the showcasing gambling addiction really well. The last third act of the film, like, perfectly showcases what it's like to um, be a gambler and get that rush from seeing if your bet's gonna pay off or if it's gonna happen it's crazy how well that it illustrates that through a movie form when you're not even you're not even the one gambling you've got nothing at stake here except your time investment but it gets gives you that same feeling because you get so invested in the character and you want to see him win big so he can finally prove to everybody that he can do it and then pay off his debts. I think Mad Mike said it really well earlier. We were kind of just talking about the film in passing and you, Mike, whenever you were like said, you know, I felt like I had won the big bet at the end there because you get so invested into like his own excitement because he, he gambles on sports. I mean, I'm not a big sports guy, you know, I like watching a game every now and then, but... That might be the most intense I've ever felt about a basketball game. That first tip-off, when he bet all that money on the tip-off, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> he better get that tip-off. That is crazy. I know. You know, I know we do, a lot of, uh, we do a lot of action, a lot of horror, a lot of thrillers on this show, and we don't do a lot of drama, you know? But I felt like watching this, it's really more of a thriller, because the whole time, like, it is, like... My stomach kept dropping over and over. I was like holding my breath, gripping like the chair arms half the movie because it's so intense. For sure. And I mean, it's masterfully crafted in that way because it's intense because you want to see Sandler win. But the rest of the movie is really intense and high anxiety, too, because there's always people talking it's always busy, like people talking or yelling over each other. And there's always that 80s soundtrack playing in the background, too. I don't want to say droning, because that is usually a negative thing. But it's like droning on in the background. But it fits with the film, so it's like all that combined. It's like being in a busy subway or a busy store, pretty much, and trying to do thing or do stuff and listen to what other people are saying. So Something this movie does very well is... It makes you feel anxiety in a way that 
a lot of other movies don't make you feel anxiety because like you said uh dan there's people always talking over each other every scene in this movie there's like five conversations going on and there's like three subplots going on in each conversation at the same time then there's like loan sharks just sitting there watching him from the back in the middle of all these things and then he pulls out his phone there's literally like 10 things going on almost every single scene of this movie continuity must have been a nightmare for these guys while they're holding this stuff together or maybe they didn't even worry about it and they were just like oh just throw in all this random stuff and we'll get where we want at the end i think i listened to an interview where they said yeah like you know because there's always people talking and talking like they had they had scripted like all of the dialogue and they'd scripted all of like just like the casual conversation going around so they had like so much dialogue that it was like almost three like movies worth of talking going on in this movie (laughs) it's insane and it's all going on at the same time and it makes you as a viewer just feel anxious because there's all this stuff going on man i did not like that at first uh yeah when they were just constant talking i was like oh god i'm getting so tense but yeah as the movie goes on i guess i adapted to it a little bit where it's like suddenly something clicked in my brain and i could keep up but yeah when they just throw you in and they're in that jeweler shop and they're just all talking at the same time, like, geez, oh God, information overload. <laughs> but then again, that's kind of like how this guy lives his life even is like just information overload. So it's kind of an immersive thing too. He has a hundred things on his mind all at the same time. And he, this movie does an awesome job of showing that. And I don't know, it made me incredibly anxious seeing all this stuff going on. And the the cinematography, the way it's made, the way the camera's like up in their faces when all this stuff's happening, the sound, and it all works really well together to make this movie that makes me anxious. That doesn't mean I enjoyed watching it, (laughs) but I recognize that it was, you know, it's very good at what it does. For sure. And you can follow everything pretty easily for the most part, too, which is a triumph of the the direction there do you think you have a point mike you know i think it's kind of in that um that requiem for a dream kind of vein you know i I wouldn't say it's nearly as bad as requiem but it is kind of in that vein of like you're very uncomfortable you're not necessarily enjoying every moment you know some folks i'm sure but like me and you but it is good it's a good film i mean it, it does it so well it's a good movie it does what it does very well but That doesn't mean that I enjoyed watching it or want to watch this movie again anytime soon. So I understand why this has that really bad audience score. I did like this movie, but something about watching it, you know, it just makes me anxious. And I was like we were saying there in the end scene, I was kind of getting that rush from like his his big bet, the gambling on it and um his uh, girlfriend is like hiding out from the loan shark guy who's there to do who knows what, probably kill her. It was a big rush, and I haven't felt like that in a movie in a long time. Yeah, I will say that I, I saw it the second time, and the first time, yeah, I was very like on the edge of my seat and kind of stressed about it. And the second time, it wasn't nearly as bad. Obviously, I think it helps when you know the outcome of what's going to happen because I don't know, I still liked it a lot the second time, but. I don't think it's going to be as bad of a viewing if you do watch it again, because you know where this is going to end up. And I mean, I guess when I've watched it the first time, I kind of knew like deep in my heart where this was probably going to end. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting turn for the ending of this one. I didn't know it was going to go that way. The henchman actually gets fed up, kills Adam Sandler, and then kills his boss. Yeah. And then they just take the jewels and go. There's a lot that A lot that goes into that, too. Well, you can see it building up. I knew it was coming. Like, I had that terrible gut feeling right when he was going to unlock the door and the guy was, the henchman guy was acting like, yep, you did it. All right, cool, good for you. I was like, oh, no. And I will say, there wasn't very many people in the theater with us, but when he walks out there and just kills them on the spot, I'm pretty sure... Like, half of the people in the theater, like, jumped or gasped or were like, oh. I did. Man, I audibly gasped. <laughs> when I got back to the car, I had probably the strongest reaction I've had to something in a movie since Blade Runner 2049. I was 
very mad, we'll say. <laughs> you know, I think the uh I think the Arno subplot really illustrates that this movie is almost kind of a slice of life kind of film because all the other characters clearly have lives and personalities and their own stories going on. Like, it seems like Arno and his henchmen might be a part of the Italian mob, perhaps. There's clearly some kind of connection happening before the movie that we don't know about. It seems like Sandler might be involved with some kind of mob. Arno's his brother-in-law, and they've married into this super wealthy family with a kind of godfather-esque father figure. Maybe. I, I actually took it a different way. I thought that Arno was kind of like, he owed this guy so much money and he didn't know how to deal with it, so he hired these two goons that, like, he kind of was in over his head as well. Like, he had these two people with him who were telling him to do stuff constantly, and he was just like, eh, I don't know, these guys are kind of pushing it a little too far. He, he seemed a little uncomfortable in the role of the the debt collector as well, I thought. He did, which is kind of why, I, I guess I thought he might be like a mob boss. There's that There's that one scene, I guess, you know, where, um, it said I had his daughter's school play and they're out in the parking lot having a confrontation and he makes the henchmen strip him naked. But it looks like he's about to cry as he's like giving the order to like humiliate Sandler so horribly. But it seems like he has to save face, you know, in front of these henchmen and look tough. Well, and he let him off easy too compared to what they wanted to do to him. I think it's part because it's easier to be mean the people you don't know than the people that you do know, right? So it's one of those things. He might not like Sandler a lot, but he's still related to him. It just makes it more difficult. And Sandler knows that too, and that's why he does a lot of the stupid things he does because he knows that he can get away with it. Well, it's an interesting dynamic because if you look back at the Godfather movies, they're like family is everything. Family is, uh, you know, your whole foundation. And then that's moved over into movies like uh, Fast and Furious where it's all, we're family, we're in this together. But in this movie, he owes his family money. So he probably borrowed that money after he married into the family and it kind of puts that whole dynamic that we're used to seeing in these kind of crime movies on its head a little bit yeah i don't know it just like yeah seems like yeah all the other characters have stories that we don't know and it's okay that we don't know and i think i think it's cool that they all have very defined personalities and lives you know it's obvious that they're doing things when they aren't interacting with the protagonist of the film yeah, that is something I like liked seeing in this. Good good observation there, Fox. Literally everybody is doing something when they're not on screen. It's a lot different from most movies you see where we, it it feels like the side characters are waiting for the main character to come back so they can be in the movie again. Everybody is literally doing something or has something going on pretty much. With the exception of his wife, I think she doesn't really have too much going on outside, but she's not a huge player in the movie either. I'd say she does a little bit, though. You can tell that her and the daughter are bonding and, you know, they're really close. And while Adam Sandler's off doing his stuff, the wife's actually, you know, caring for the kids and being a good parent. I think that there's some, yeah, like when she gives the smile to the daughter and they're like having their little inside jokes and stuff. I, I took that as, yeah, there she has her own whole deal going on and Adam Sandler plays a very insignificant role in that. So before we get too far away from the people he owns money or owes money to, I thought it was funny that he owes like these two dudes who look like mad scientists <laughs> show up like halfway through the movie and they are like the worst lone people ever. Yeah. Like they show up and Adam Sandler just ignores them. He's like, go away, go away. I'm not talking to you now. And they're sitting there like, you owe us money. And they, yeah. He's like treating them like homeless people. And he's like, well, they, they kind of look, you know, all ragtag, like mad scientists with the Einstein hair going on. I thought those were the guys who were going to like shoot him. Like I thought like it was all going to pan out in the end and he was going to walk out to the street and those guys were going to randomly show up and like blow him away, you know? I thought that too, especially when his girlfriend was running out to um, get on the helicopter or whatever and the guy was just sitting there outside his office. 
I thought that he was just going to shoot him when Sandler came out. Right? Like, nothing ever comes of those guys. Just <laughs> more side characters. that <laughs> To add more stress and anxiety to this movie. Yeah. If you notice, too, he pawned off that jewelry of Michael Jackson on the cross. And then later, near the end of the film, he runs into somebody he knows and that guy asks him when he's gonna get that thing back yeah that's the guy who lets him into the back room of the club yeah yeah yeah. i was like oh my goodness (laughs) he swindles everybody he he meets pretty much he's always got something going on He, he never gets a moment to rest story of this movie man just non-stop he does get arrested at the end i guess that's true (laughs) he's happy he finally pulled it off too in the end that's all that matters i guess oh i do love the kind of the foreshadowing to that whenever he uh you know he so he hangs out with this basketball player for a bunch of the film who's like is i guess a real player in real life and he's playing himself which was an interesting and ballsy quote (laughs) move Ah, nice but you know he has that line where he's like what does it matter if you win by one point or 30 points i see you out there and it's just about the win it's not about yeah like getting the money necessarily it's all about the rush that's all it is for him he just wants to have that rush and that stress and attention and release right like he knows those mobsters might kill him because he's hardcore disrespecting but who cares he's gonna win by a point (laughs) that's who he is this is me that that was probably my favorite part of the film when he's KG's asking him about how much he paid for the Opal and Sandler goes on his rant about how KG feels when people are telling him he can't do something and all this and then he pulls it off and then he relates it back to um, him being a jeweler and everything and how he got the Opal. And everyone's telling him he can't make all this money to get his debts paid off or hit it big finally. And then he's doing it when he's he's literally wearing sunglasses because his glasses got smashed because he got his face beat up. And he's doing that and he just sits there and he's like, this is me. And then immediately after that, he gambles all that money and comes up with another harebrained scheme. That's probably my favorite part of the film because i was like man that was executed perfectly right there that little chunk just illustrates this guy 100 percent, and it's just ah oh, it is great and well that scene even has another layer to it as well we brought up the gambling addiction that he's going through and you see that he has to go to these extreme lengths to get that same high from gambling you know and he has to keep extending out the craziness of what he's doing and the insanity to get that same high from dopamine from this addiction he has. It almost felt like he was justifying himself a little bit to the KG, you know? And it's like, because when I was watching him, I'm like, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, I was just kind of like putting face palming, like, no, don't put all your money in this, dude. No. You know, he was just looking for an excuse to put it all in on something. And he found a mid like conversation with this guy. And he wasn't scared to do it because he's related to the guy who he owed money to. So he's like, he's not going to do anything to me. I can take whatever he throws my way. (laughs) And he didn't, I guess. He didn't have to worry about that guy. Yeah, yeah, he was right. He was smarter than most of the other people in the movie. Even if he did the dumbest things. (laughs) Yeah, in the back of my mind, I was like, man, this movie can't end with Adam Sandler, like, getting away with this scot-free, right? Like, I just kept thinking that in my head, and I was like, there's just no way, like, this, this can't be that kind of movie, can it? And then, yeah, no, it isn't. It's interesting because you end up kind of liking him, and so when you do see him finally die, you feel bad for him, but, you know, like... You think back on it, it's like, you know, this is the only way this really probably would have ended for him. He's pushed it too far. And I gotta say, the acting in this movie is all super well done as well. Like, when you guys brought up KG, the guy who plays himself, he does a super good job. I was very impressed with that guy. Man, I am stoked about that guy. Yeah, I want to see him in more stuff, because he nailed it. Yeah, I hope he goes the Michael Jordan route and does some, like, you know, not necessarily a Space Jam movie, (laughs) but, you know, like, (laughs) keeps on doing stuff and kind of develops more, yeah. He's legitimately very good. There was a lot of celebrities in this movie just, like, playing themselves. 
which was kind of cool because it seemed like most of the characters were played by unknowns with the exception of, you know, Sandler and his wife. Well, heck, his girlfriend, this is her first, like, real movie. Yeah, the the scary bodyguard who murders him. That guy's like nobody. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, this is like the only thing he's done. He's terrifying. Yeah, no joke. I'm reminded of, you know, it wasn't a great movie. But do you guys remember back in the day, it would have been like, I don't even know, like 2009, there was a movie called Act of Valor, where they got real, like, Marines, Navy SEALs to play, like, dudes in the military. And it wasn't that good of a movie, but, like, the combat scenes, like, their reactions felt so real. Like, they, they're, they're like family drama scenes, horrible. But whenever they were in their element just being themselves, it just felt so genuine and, like, up close and tight. Well, what's the other movie that Clint Eastwood did with, like, the actual people who, like, stopped the train bombing or something? Oh, yeah. I never saw that either, but... I think I read something similar, though, yeah. I guess, yeah, that's why you don't get them to be your leads. You just kind of have them, you know, like, in the air, around to kind of just give off that feeling. This movie has kind of, did kind of follow a trend that I've been enjoying lately with uh, movies like The Big Short and Vice that take these super, like, what we kind of perceive as, like, boring careers like banking and accounting, politician, being a jeweler that bets on things and making them seem super exhilarating and sexy, you know? Like, I learned so much about gambling from this movie. I was like, man, I'm going to go home and look up what the heck he was talking about all the times he was placing all those crazy bets. <laughs> and that's a cool trend in film. That's just kind of been popping up lately that I like a lot. Glamorizing a different part of life that you don't see too much. It's nice to see originality. It's one of the best things about this movie. Because it's completely different from anything else you will have seen in years. And it's quality, too. It's very well done. Not that I don't like the big franchise stuff or anything else, because I do, but it's it's nice to have diversity in your hobby. <laughs> Speaking of originality, what did you guys think about this 80s vibe that was just thrown into the movie? Like, you know, it obviously doesn't take place in the 80s, but there's this kind of film grain over the whole thing, and there's this crazy synthwave soundtrack and these weird opening, closing graphics, like in diamonds and cells and stuff. Or Adam Sandler's rectum. Yes. <laughs> wow, well, that was a great transition from like the cosmos into <laughs> somebody's butt. <laughs> I liked it a lot, Fox. I thought it fit really well with um, the movie, which isn't what you would expect. But yeah, it, it fit really well, and it doesn't... It doesn't hark back to the 80s at all, really, besides that soundtrack, which I think helps it a lot because we've been seeing a resurgence of the 80s from Stranger Things and a bunch of other stuff. It it fits well when it really shouldn't for some reason, <laughs> and it, it works really good, I thought anyways. Yeah, well, the score is not necessarily, like, it's all electronic synthy stuff, but it doesn't really feel like... You, what you'd expect from an 80s like synth score it's more of a classical feel i think than like a john carpentery feel which is kind of interesting it's more uh what's that band uh tangerine dream kind of where it's just like very uh like it's actually kind of very complex whereas a lot of those synth scores are kind of bare bones minimalistic kind of stuff there's a lot going on with it it's very atmospheric and dreamlike quality it, which harkens back to the movie and like the dreamlike high and everything he's going for all the time. Mm hmm. Which I didn't know at first I wasn't trying to feel about it because it was like this feels a lot like different than what I would expect from this movie. But as it like kept going, I was really like it, it, it worked for me for some reason. Like, so it just clicked kind of just like this whole movie. At first you get thrown into this world and it's like constant hectic stuff. Then there's this like very kind of cerebrally synth music underneath it that I'm just like, this is kind of strange. It's very different than what I would have expected. But man, like, I really liked it. Kind of reminded me of uh, TV. You showed me that uh, that rapper a while back. 
like was it was it noise rap was that the genre uh don't quote me on that but yeah i think so the band is a clipping is what they're called yeah and it was kind of like synth wave but with rap over it And this movie has a lot of uh, like hip-hop going on there's a lot of you know rappers and artists that show up as themselves in the film and there's a kind of tie-in of hip-hop and rap with this 80s synth thing and it really made me think of like a a visualization of yeah <laughs> that groupie showed me <laughs> i don't know like if that's like a recent genre or a thing that's been developing for years but i very much got that vibe yeah it's kind of interesting mishmash but it works a lot of different influences in the score that work really well together i think got to give a shout out to the random billy joel song in their their family car <laughs> scene <laughs> that fit really well too though i loved it <laughs> yeah you know, kind of a funny side note. It probably helped too that because we went to our um, our local theater that we live pretty close to, and they uh, were right before the film started. They're doing like their run of all the upcoming movies they're gonna show, and so they they started out with American Psycho, and it's like you like Huey mm. Lewis in the news, <laughs> so they put that in there, and we're playing the song from American Psycho. <laughs> That's awesome. So that kind of gets you in the mood, or got me in the mood for it. And then you come in with this soundtrack, and I was like, you know, this this is nice. I like this. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that you brought up that I wasn't a huge on was just like the the logo, Uncut Gems logo. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's a very minor thing to nitpick, but I didn't think it looked that cool. It was a little weird. It's a very plain logo, but I mean, it didn't didn't bug me any. I just kind of want the text to just pop up and then, you know, go away. But it kind of it's like a weird motion graphics thing, which could have worked. I don't know. It just didn't fit sit with me just quite right. But once again, that's very very minor. Like I would say, that's a nitpick <laughs> if I ever heard one. <laughs> You know what? This is a burn it. I hate that logo. <laughs> the turning point. Yeah, that's the only thing from what you brought up earlier, Fox, was that I was like, eh, I don't know about the logo, but everything else was cool, I thought. I really liked all like the, yeah, the w- weird cosmic stuff that was in it, like where they, whenever someone would look into that jewel, like the first time KG looks in the jewel, he has this weird like vision. Well, it even harkens back to Sandler's genius because he gets kg hooked on this gym and convinces him that it's gonna make him play better and then when he loans it to him he does play better and he puts bets down on him doing really well and which gets him a lot of money so even with that yeah it's going back to sandler's genius and how he cons all these people i never got the vibe he wanted him to have it though like i don't think that was part of his plan for kg to grab it and like take it I don't think it was for him to like keep it as long as he did, but I think I got kind of the vibe that that was kind of his plan or he was coming up with it on the fly. He might have been doing that, yeah. Because he, he immediately took the ring and pawned it off too. So I was like, all right. And then he went and put that bet down. So he used it to his advantage, I guess. Yeah. And he would have won that money too. A lot of money. <laughs> if, if they hadn't yeah, stopped his bet. Yeah, that was interesting that they did that with the opal, but kind of, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting choice that plays back into how KG feels about it and everything. And it is the catalyst for a lot of the problems too, so. Yeah, it escalates things a bit too far, I think, is what the, yeah, that gym does. It's a neat way to visualize it, which speaking of visuals, I just wanted to say, I love the look of this movie. I don't know why, but the aesthetic of it is very appealing to me. I don't know everything that went into them pulling it off, but for some reason, I really like the way this movie looks. I thought the look was really good, too. Just, yeah, like the the color filters they had on it, and yeah, the kind of gritty 80s, 70s kind of look to it. But set in the modern era and everything, it really made all the like bright colors just pop. Adam Sandler's shirt just pops that yellow shirt whenever he's um he's on screen and then like in the nightclub when um is I don't remember the guy's name the guy who brings the weekend not not the weekend but he had a good um like hoodie on but the guy he works with who brought him KG at the start he was wearing that orange hoodie and everything and with the black light and it's just like popping out oh it's so good 
Julia's outfit looks really cool too in the club. It just makes everybody look really cool. I get. I don't. I can't describe it very well, but I just love the way it looks. I was thinking that because I commented on how much I hated Repo's aesthetic, and I was like, "Man, this is." I love the aesthetic of this film. Yeah, this is a film that nails it. Yeah, yeah. Just looking at the photos here on IMDb. Well, and it's got like when he's in his um, jewelry shop, it's got a whole bunch of warm colors, and when he's with julia or when he's at the big family gathering it's got all the warm colors this show he's in his element and safety and then everywhere else it's a lot more harsh and looking and everything bluish yeah yeah so it even like it even tells a story that way which is neat it kind of seems like this 80s thing has really been making a comeback over the last several years and i don't know if it's just like everybody loves it or if it's like kind of our generation's finally coming into some cash now that we're transitioning out of college into careers and we're able to funnel money towards these Hollywood films and other various projects and we have this whole nostalgia for a time we've never known kind of thing going on. Well, I mean, this isn't an 80s film by any means. They just use that kind of soundtrack and I guess retro style for the aesthetic of the film a little bit. But it works better because they're not doing that, I would say. Well, I know we could talk about this one for a long time, but do we want to move on into overall presentation? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm down. So we've got a scale that we use to rate these movies. It goes from burn it, pass, watch it, or buy it in that order. We give a little spiel, then we all give our rating, and then we try to average it out at the end to see if it comes out on top. Who wants to make a bet? Place a bet on what you think each one of us is going to vote for. I think the three of you are going to say buy it. I'll give you one to one odds on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put all my money down on it. I'm going to guess three buy it's and a watch it as well. (laughs) Who is watching it? Hmm. We'll see, I guess. All right, I guess I'll go first here. I feel like I've been called out. I recognize that this is a good movie, and it's really good at what it does. Like, this movie made me feel anxiety like I haven't felt a movie ever before, because most movies that make you feel anxiety, it's tension from, like, a thriller or a scary movie, some kind of horror anxiety. This Gave me some kind of anxiety that I haven't felt in a movie in a while, if ever. That doesn't mean that I liked it. I recognize that this movie is awesome, amazing, everything works together. But for me, I would never buy this movie because I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> it was it was too much for me. I think, honestly, for me, this movie's going to fall somewhere in between a pass and a watch it. What? But I'm going to give it... A watch it. <laughs> what? Oh. Oof. Huh? Between a pass and a watch it. Don't argue, TV. It's a watch. Don't argue. This is a good movie. I'm I'm not saying that's a bad movie, but I don't really ever want to watch this movie again because I I got it. It made me feel weird. It's good at what it does, but that does not mean I want to watch it ever again. So I'll, I'll give it the benefit of a doubt with a watch it. Well, there it is, part one of the three-way parlay, a watch it. <laughs> no, I mean, this this movie really surprised me, you know. I, I was not stoked about it from the trailers. I, I, I would not have picked it for my 2019 catch-up, but good lord, am I so glad that Dan did. This movie blew me out of the water. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Love the aesthetic, love the music, love the characters. I like this trend of making boring jobs, like, super glamorized and sexy. It's fun. But no, I mean, so we, uh, my girlfriend and I saw it together, and we, you know, we talked about it in the car, got a lot of good dialogue out of it, and we, we stepped out, and she was like, so we're going to give it on the show. And I was like, is it wrong that I don't feel like I want to watch it all that often, but I want to buy it and bedazzle it with a bunch of diamonds and put it on the mantle? Ooh, <laughs> very fitting. <laughs> like, let me put this thing on like a chain or something and wear it around. Because I, I got to give it a buy it. Like, I don't necessarily want to watch it next week, but <laughs> I do want to have this. And someday my kids are going to be like, what are you making us watch, Dad? And I'm going to be like, hush. 
Just watch. You're going to make your kids watch this? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think this movie might be the Jerry Maguire of our generation. I, th- I really think it is. And I got to give it a buy. I think it's going to become a modern classic. So I've seen this movie twice now in theaters. And when Dan said he wanted to pick this, I was happy to go back the second time. This movie is surprisingly enthralling when it really shouldn't be with like the main character. He's just kind of a piece of crap. But somehow you get invested, but he gets invested in and it. It has to be because of Adam Sandler. I think Dan's right on that. It's just he's makes this character likable enough that you're all in on it with him. I just think, yeah, the aesthetic's really cool. The music's a very interesting choice. It's a very stressful movie, but I think that it's interesting because at first it's like almost overwhelming, but as you kind of sit there watching it, it kind of, I guess, immerses you into it and suddenly you're just like in it just like Adam Sandler is. I'm going to give it a buy it. Uh, I really liked it. I was incredibly impressed by this movie. Um, Yeah, like I didn't have that high of hopes when I saw the trailer, but when the buzz started to come around about it, I figured, okay, fine. You know what? I'll go drive like seven minutes away, go to my local theater and check it out. And man, I was glad I did. So yeah, I'm going to give it a a buy it. You know, sometimes the critics aren't wrong when it comes to um, movies, especially more the independent films that, a24 likes to put out i was pretty um excited to see this movie from the trailers i was like "Ooh, that looks good i was excited to see adam sandler doing a serious role again because he's very good at it and this is probably um his best acting he's done in a feature film which is always great to see so i i wanted to see it a lot earlier but didn't get to due to inclement weather Uh, which is always annoying, (laughs) but we finally got to see it, um, and I was not disappointed. I didn't really get overwhelmed or feel as anxious as a lot of people have from watching this movie, but um, I still got all the tension from all the situations he gets himself in and seeing how it's going to affect him because you want him to succeed. I think Fox nailed it where it's kind of the underdog syndrome with this one where you want to see the guy down on his luck actually succeed at what he's going for. It's cool that they're able to do this with a character who's a scumbag. It's something that you see in the best gangster movies too, but not really as you don't see it as much outside of those kind of movies. So it's cool they're able to pull it off in something like this. The music was great. You wouldn't think it would fit with the film, but it fits really well. I love the aesthetic, as I mentioned earlier. Um, It's probably one of my favorite looking movies from last year that I've seen. The dialogue's all good. Everybody acts really well. I think A24 is going to keep their perfect record with me with this film because I'm going to give it a buy it. (laughs) Well. We had some correct predictions here. <laughs> Where's my money? Where's my money? <laughs> I feel like I was almost I was almost chastised when I almost gave this movie a pass. <laughs> Terry almost shot you. <laughs> Terry's like, I'm gonna edit this out of here. <laughs> I'm editing Mike out of the entire review. <laughs> like Mike's gonna give this a buy. <laughs> I'll just overdub you. Yeah, we'll just have a suddenly we'll just overcut with conversations, just like in the movie. Yeah. Just suddenly. <laughs> I, I'll go ahead and put like another note on this. These kind of movies, I'm just not big on them. I'm these kind of crime drama, these kind of things. I just don't like to see that stuff in my entertainment because it reminds me of crap that goes on in real life, you know? Even if the movie is amazing, I, it's it's just take that disclaimer from my approach to this stuff. I'd rather watch something that I can escape in instead of be like, uh, this crap happens every day. I get why people wouldn't like this movie, too. It's very... um understandable criticism i'd say i do recognize how good this movie is so i want to get that across this movie is awesome but it's just not for me hmm. so don't chastise me too much <laughs> chastise him <laughs> shame <laughs> all right fine i'll allow it <laughs> he will allow it praise the god of the editing yes tv <laughs> he's staying in man so what is it going to be next? What 
have we not seen in 2019? You know, I've got one if nobody else has one. Oh, let's hear it. I want to know. Ari Aster, I think, was amazing with uh, Hereditary. It was Hereditary was my pick for movie of the year in 2018. And I never actually got around to seeing Midsommar because I happened to get a puppy. At the time this movie came out, I couldn't leave for two hours and 30 minutes. Well, you put an extra 30 minutes on there for the amount of commercials I have to watch when I go watch a movie in the theater. Well, hey, now you can make up for those 30 extra minutes because I think there's a director's cut too now. So it's like three hours long. <laughs> You've sold me. I'm already back in. Well, I'm going to watch the theatrical version because that's what's free on Amazon Prime right now. That is my pick. I know that TV and Fox have already seen this movie. I'm okay with watching it again. It'll be a good review. I know that. Are TV and I allowed to watch the director's cut? Is it accessible without actually buying it? I don't know. You were the one who knew it. I, I just mean, you know, we can review it from a theatrical angle. But if we can find the directors, I would like to... Uh... Hold up. I'm going to put this thing on here, though. This disclaimer. If there is, like, major differences between the cuts, I don't want to know the differences until after I've seen the theatrical one. Because I may want to go back and watch it. Let's just do the theatrical cut, all of us. Because I might not remember what was in there and what wasn't, so... <laughs> I think it's pretty well etched into my memory. <laughs> I'm very pumped to see what he did next. Somehow I've made it this long without knowing what anybody thinks about this movie. I know nothing about this besides the first trailer. Did he go with A24 again? Yeah, well, is it A24? I don't remember. I can't remember either. I feel like it is, but I don't remember, so... I'd have to look. But I was looking at 2019 horror films, and I have it pulled up right here, actually. Yep, A24. Should we rename this segment to the A24 Power Hour? <laughs> <laughs> Our favorite movies of last year is all A24 films. Well, I don't know if this is going to be a favorite. It's a cat. This is a catch-up <laughs> one, so. It's a hopeful. That's true, that's true. Well, if any of you listeners out there have any favorite movies of 2019 that you think we'd like, you can hit us up at runtherealpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at runthereal. Hit us up. Did you like Uncut Gems? Are there other movies this year that you think we should cover? Or last year, technically, huh? Wow, time flies. But let us know. Cool, cool. Well, be sure to tune in next week for a Midsommar. That should be probably a good one from what I'm hearing from TV and uh, Fox. But anyways, thanks for listening to us tonight. We really appreciate it. This is Run The Real, signing off.